Hey, I'm Kyle Hill. Uh, this is the fourth episode of Shallow Depth the Pod, and I'm joined with August Leo. Hey, guys. Joy, listening to the fourth episode of Shallow Depth the Pod. I have been inspired. I've seen a lot, like a lot of my friends who are, who are editors have been doing some really fucking cool stuff. Like just some of my friends, uh, one of my friends, his name is Brian Dukoff. He does really cool. Um, so he does work for like, uh, Langston Galloway, who's on the Pistons, uh, Joy, Joy Bell, the former lion. Um, and he has been posting some examples of like his color correction on his work. And he just shoots, I'm pretty sure he just has a GH five and he just records, you know, to that sound or to the, the, the monitor hard drive. I'm forgetting yeah, yeah. what the fuck to call it. SSD. But yeah. Yes. Yes. And he, he, you know, has these awesome shots of fucking like Bryce Harper on the, from the Phillies and you know, all this stuff. And, but his color work is, is fucking awesome. And he's like really pushed me to be like, man, I really, really have to start taking like, you know, color correcting serious and, you know, and, not just worried about like composing a great shot and all that shit that goes into it, but really thinking in post, you know, Hey, if, if I put a ton of work into this color, like it pops and it, and it makes it stand out to people. Right. And also having your own aesthetic, like color wise, you know, like you could do the, the typical, okay, I'm going to do follow the trend and make, make it look pretty, which a lot of like, you know, for instance, if you were shooting for a car company, that's kind of what they'd ask for. But then when you're doing your own stuff, you have your own look. That's really cool. Like when I see people, like editors or shooters, everything's colored the same. It's but it's not. But it's unique. You know, it, like some the greens will pop, or it'll be more harsh, harsh shadows. With and they really bring the blacks up, stuff like that. I I really like it. I I actually haven't gotten too deep into the coloring thing, but I I have obviously colored things, and I kind of go with the, you know, the very basic. Just make it look pretty. I don't try to get fancy with it, but I think. It's something that I want to look into, you know. I, I would highly recommend it. And and it's, it, I always was kind of intimidated by color correcting, like where I was just like, I don't know how to fucking do this. And, and, and I have a tendency to like, if something seems too complicated, I'll just like dismiss it and, and write it off and think I can't do that or whatever. But lately, you know, obviously with time, I've, I've been pushing myself to do it. And I really, really like it because someone gave me like an example I saw on Reddit is they were like, I, I made a post and I was like, I just don't know how the fuck to color correct. And the guy, this one guy was like, my best advice to you is just pick a movie you really like or like a still of something you really like and shoot something and then try to match it to that color grade that you see. And he's like, it's that simple and you're not going to do it hundred percent right, right. But it'll teach you more about like how to use the software. And, and it's something like, you know, I love David Fincher's colors. Like every time you watch a Fincher movie, like when you watch Fight Club, it's so green and yellow and like, and, and dingied out. And then, you know, uh, like Ozark is so blue. Like when you watch Ozark, it's just so blue to the point where like, I would have to take breaks from watching it. Cause let alone, it's like a dark, uh, you know, source material, but it's also, it's literally like blue and dark a lot of the time. Right. And, and that, that adds to that emotion though. It you know, those colors are, they're yeah. all, I mean, obviously with something like Ozark, I mean, you got some of the top people making that and it's a very conscious decision. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, it like, like, you know, Breaking Bad, you, it used to always, you knew when they were in Mexico cause it was always, it was always like yellow or yeah. like that, you know, like that look. CPR or whatever. Like yeah. This kind of, it's, yeah, 
what are like what are is there anything that like sticks out to you of some of your favorite like color whether it's like moods or anything from films or tv work that you really liked yeah well i'm thinking about the mad max fury road oh yeah it's like a yellowish red but then the the blue sky pops you know so it's very it's well thought out you have kind of like I mean, the, it has to be, it's a furious, deserted, you know, apocalyptic world. So the red makes a lot of sense. But you're not losing anything with the blues. No. So that movie, what, from a technical standpoint, is like one of the most impressive movies ever. Because oh they did so much stuff that was practical effects. And um, I was actually watching a thing, because um, it's, it's George Romero that's the director, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so he advised like all of his DPs to, you know, make sure because the way he wanted to cut the action is he, you know, literally made sure that the DP had, you know, the, the crosshairs basically on their camera. And he's like, everything I want center action. He's like, cause this is going to be so crazy that the, I want the viewer to always be able to see like center frame, everything that's happening so they can follow because that's a, it is a thing. Like a lot of people don't know. And you know, I would probably throw myself in this too, cause I've never had to do something like this, but a lot of people don't know how to shoot action. Like think of, think of some of the, like the best action sequences you've ever seen in movies, you know, that, that stick out to you, like Terminator two, like the fucking crazy action in that movie. Or, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of like fight scenes. You can always tell when, uh, there's a fight scene and the person who's doing it knows what the fuck they're doing because it's wide shots. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, I mean, look at the, every matrix fight scene is a wide shot. Yeah. And, um, it, the, the perfect example of people who don't know what the fuck they're doing is, uh, in t- one of the taken movies, there's, oh, <laughs> there's a shot where Liam Neeson just climbs a fence and there's like, 17 cuts of course yeah it's so ridiculous when you're watching it (laughs) i just found myself going like who the fuck is doing this but you know have you ever seen uh you've seen old boy right oh yeah love it like the the action scene in that you understand like the physicality and the exhaustion of that fight scene because it's a it's one it's a wonder but like the way it's shot, it feels like he's advancing almost through like a video game level. You know what yeah, I mean? It's like, it's like a Mario, uh, old Mario. Yeah, like game a side scroller. Like, yeah, it's, it actually is done so well. Well, I love that scene. and that's actually really, you know what we should, we should try to one time get like a stuntman on um, to explain <laughs> because stuntmen are so fucking creative. So I never knew this, but I was learning it from, uh, there's the YouTube channel. It's like, uh, the graphics artists uh, who break down stuff and, and they had a stuntman on and, and the way that they, they will, they're all like experienced cinematographers too. And they will set up and shoot like test shoots of, of their choreography of it. And it's fucking awesome. And they will show just, you know, like how like the glass will break and they're like, yeah, there's a tech and like that glass is rigged to explode. And right. you know, like at the right at the moment, they got to do it perfectly. And all this, these things that you don't think about, but they know so much about how to do all these technical things. And then it's, that makes sense because the guy who directed John wick was a former stuntman choreographer and he basically was but like, that makes me respect those action heroes like 
say The Rock or Tom Cruise or Tom Keanu Cruise Reeves. does all his stunts. They yeah. do all their own stunts, and it's insane. I, I mean, the last Mission Impossible, or maybe two, oh, he broke but, his leg or something, jumping but, from one building to the yeah, next. He broke. He like, like shattered his ankle. Yeah. How can he do that? Like, did did you see the? Uh, did you see that movie? I haven't watched it. No. Oh man, I, it's nonstop. It's like so balls to the walls. It's it's oh, re- sure. it's really fucking good. But um, there's a scene where they do a. Do you know like it's called a halo jump where they jump from like some. It's crazy, like thirty thousand feet or something, and you need like an oxygen mask and everything to do it. And the way they did it, it's one hundred percent real. Is they jump from this airplane and the. Tom Cruise fully does the jump, but then a cameraman has like a, you know, an airy like rigged to his head basically. <laughs> and he is like jumping in front of Tom Cruise and filming him the whole time. It's fucking bonkers, dude. It's so like, and they did it like 18 times. Dude, so, fuck that, man. Like, no way. But, but imagine how fucking crazy that is. That's insane. Like, I you, heard Tom Cruise learned how to fly a helicopter. Oh yeah. He knows how to fly everything. Like, he can do everything. And he, I mean, if it weren't for Scientology, Tom Cruise would be the shit, dude. So, like, <laughs> I was just having this argument with, with, not argument, but like debate with my mom. And I was like, Tom Cruise is fucking crazy, but that man is a movie star. Like, he is. He's a movie star, 100%. His, his movies are so captivating to me. Like, um, did you see, it's called Edge of Tomorrow. Have you seen that movie? Is that the one where he keeps dying? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that movie. It's that so movie, good. So that's another, like, t- from a technical standpoint, I was watching how the DPs uh, and, like, set designers rigged everything. So you know those mech suits that they have? Yeah. They are literally wearing those mech suits, and it's they're on a, like, muddy beach. And so what they did is they rigged all these crazy cable uh, wires that, like, help take the weight off of them, but they're really running, and then they just paint out the wires in post on it. And, but it's all real. Like everything in that is so fucking cool. And that's what I, one of the things, uh, to, to in mission impossible, one of the things that's really fucking cool is, uh, the stuntman explained how like they rig, uh, fight scenes in order for dudes to be able to take like real hits and they fight in a, in the bathroom and they're like smashing through porcelain and everything. But they were explaining that they, they, in their suits, they're lined with padding and then they say that basically the floors are all padded as well, but made to look like they're ceramic. And then he's like, if you look, when he goes over by the bathroom stall, Tom Cruise is like taking a knee and you can see that it's like made out of a like cushion and it bends. Oh, okay. And I was like, dude, I never knew this. I just thought these motherfuckers were crazy and just Yeah. Like- <laughs> I mean, when you're getting paid that much money, I'm doing it without the padding. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's that's something that I am so fascinated by is like the stunt guy work. You know, that shit's so like there's so much thought process that goes into movie making and and you know, we've we've only really dealt with like documentary style or, you know, kind of I don't know, like it more, uh, what's the word? Like realistic setups, you know what I mean? And I've never had to deal with anything like that, have you? I mean, I, I've done some action movies for sure where I was like pulling focus and stuff, but we had, it was pretty much get there the day before the shoot so we can figure out the camera movements. But it was a, it was a thing called Project Serum. It was like a web series and I only was, I only worked on the pilot. They were trying to sell it to some studio or whatever. And it was kind of cool, but I mean, 
it was low budget. These people, they were, they were doing a street fight and they just put cardboard down on the cement. Oh, really? they, yeah. And they just went for it. It was cool. But I, unfortunately I didn't have the camera in my hand. So I was kind of sitting back, just pulling focus, but it was intricate enough, you know, and we, it was all wide shots. I, the, the guys, they, I feel like they knew what they were doing, or at least they were hardcore fans of action movies because the action stuff was awesome. The rest of the movie was horrible. It was just <laughs> like a shitty motel room, talking heads. It, it was bad, but the action sequences were good. And when I saw those, I was like, hey, maybe so, someone will pick it up. That's you, you brought something up that's kind of interesting. And it's like the best, the best movies or drama things. Um, you understand like the, the geographical spacing too. Like uh, someone brought up an example on a podcast I was listening to about uh, No Country for Old Men. And when like the action is so tense because, you know, the Coen brothers are fucking awesome. But um, when he, do you remember when Josh Brolin's character is like hiding in the, uh, the hotel and he's basically knows that um, Anton Sugar is like coming for him yeah. and he waits you understand like the layout of the building so that when he jumps out of that window like you know perfectly where he is and where Anton Sugar is and I thought that was like a it was a very subtle detail but it made a lot of sense because I don't think a lot of people understand you know orientation like that and kind of nailing like the layout of a setup you know yeah, what I mean difficult I mean imagine all the movies that uh, take place in a building and they show the front entrance, a little bit of, a bit of the hallway, and then the room that the action takes place in. So you just, you, you get a feeling, okay, they're at a casino hotel, they're this or whatever, you know, that. Like I, I just watched Casino Royale uh, again. And that's one of the movies where it's like, hey, you have the poker room, the grand ballroom, and then you just have a bunch of different hotel rooms with a random staircase. And it doesn't make sense because they'll be walking out of the grand ballroom They'll take one step up a staircase and then they're walking into the room. So like, that's kind of disorienting. Obviously it's an action film. You can get past it. There's not so much they have to focus on, but you look at something like the grand Budapest hotel and you get everything. You get the basement sauna room, you get the front lobby, the grand hall, the staircases, individual rooms. And it's just perfectly laid out and you have a sense of, okay, this is a grand hotel, you know, well, and they're showing it to you. Wes Anderson is so good at that too, because, um, it's the same with Royal Tenenbaums. Like oh you feel like, yeah. you know, that house that they right. live in. And the reason is, I remember I, I used to have the special edition DVD of, of, uh, Royal Tenenbaums back when people had DVDs and it came with like, he had drawn out and completely labeled every single room of the house and it was this massive map you could pull out and it had detailed explanations of every piece of like art that was in the house and every single thing and that's an example of what you're talking about is like he is firmly locked in on those details and knows how to design it yeah there's a difference between someone like him who is painting a world literally it's a world you know it's like it's Archer Avenue, you know, it's like the house on Archer Avenue. And he has it detailed to even when you open up that map that you're talking about, he has the streets, the cross streets, a couple of local stores that he made up in his mind, the roof, you know, the roof with the bird cages. And it's just, that's a big, that's why he can make these movies, you know, and he can continue making these independent films. I mean, now he has big budgets, but he lost his ass on Darjeeling Limited and of life aquatic but people believed in him and they they i mean you knew that that submarine that boat like the back of your hand by the end of the movie 
And people like, that's a different viewing experience. You know, you get to go there and you, you lose yourself in a world. And it's, it's not just watching Talking Heads and, you know, all this TV that we ingest that we watch it because you don't have to pay attention. And you bring up like a good point because I think like good, when it comes to writing, especially like good world building in anything and, you know, creating a deep like lore and history of not only the characters in it, but like the actual world that they live in is super important. And I know like you, you write way more than I do in anything. Is that like a process that goes through kind of like when you're like coming up with stuff? I think it's all about the, if a lot of times I don't have money to write these big budget films, you know, so I, I do a lot of short films. I write short films and you have to think, okay, you got 10 minutes. How, what's the most details of every scene that I can put in without explicitly making it, the audience feel stupid by telling them, but by showing them, you know, just, yeah. Like an exposition dump where it's, you know, you're, you're like, and that's the, why my mom beat me was here. Like, yeah, and you're like, what? I, I okay. can't do that. It, it yeah. has to be, even a 30 second montage, you can go, you could span 10 years in 30 seconds. If you shoot I mean, Up right. did it. Remember in Up? That was a That's perfect a example. Montage. Yeah. That's a, yeah. It's a heartbreaking montage, but something like that is, is where they're giving you the entire story before the story starts, you know? And that's something that a lot of people can't do. I mean, I, I try my best to figure out, okay, this is a montage. I got 10 shots. I got 20 seconds. What shots are going to be in this montage? But sometimes when you're working with a guerrilla crew and you have $10,000 and you're shooting in fucking Paris or something, you just have to go with the flow. You know, it's like sometimes you don't have, you don't have that much say and you kind of shoot around the world that you're in, which is, it can be good too. And that's realistic, you know? And that's, no, that's interesting. You say that too, because there's like, there's such a difference sometimes between like, you're kind of writing on the fly and it's like, I go through this a lot and I'm sure you do where, you know, you're, you're, you're working on a project and you know, you're good enough to shoot all coverage and get everything you need for an editor and that they can do something with it. But in your head, you're like, I'm just pulling together together a bunch of sweet shots. That's about all I'm doing. I don't know if there's really like a theme with this. And, you know, because that's like a real thing. If you're not the editor for a project, you know, like you may be handing off to an editor, you know, a terabyte worth of, you know, shots. And and they're not going to know that like the really good shot you picked up is in, you know, a minute in to, you know, the 200th clip. And like, they may not, you know, and that's, that's actually like a conversation I have with people who are editing things that I'm working on. It's I try to give them a heads up and I'm like, Hey, the shot before there, like I literally turned the camera on and recorded my hand for a second. If you see it, like go before that shot and there's something in there. Do you ever do anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously it's job to job basis, but if it's like a, a client, you know, a like a, say for instance, they're doing a commercial or something, then yeah, I will definitely do my best to write down notes, tell them where, where, the, where the best shots are. But then there's those, a lot of jobs where like, honestly, I just got called the other day to go to uh, Birmingham and shoot a presentation about like, you know, coronavirus stuff, whatever. And they later, they literally said, Hey, we need you in this building and we need you to shoot it for three hours. So something like that, it's like, okay, they don't care enough to tell me what I'm even shooting. I'm going in there for my paycheck. I'm going to shoot the shit out of it. But 
yeah, take the footage and do, do the best you can. When you're working on a film, when you have people who are putting their fucking money, hard-earned money into it, and everyone's on the same page and they're trying to make something beautiful, then you care about what, you know, you, you care. Obviously, we're always going to shoot beautiful shots. That's not the point. The point is, is your heart in those shots or not? And when you put your heart into those beautiful shots, it shows. And you also, it's, it's more of a team and people are, you know, people are working together. A lot of times, I'm sure you do too. You'll get thrown, okay, go interview this guy and do, get some B-roll. You know, and that's not going to be your heart and soul into it, especially if it's something you don't give a shit about. Well, and especially for more news style things, that's like, sometimes it's the only way you can operate. And I constantly stress to people, um, and you're right, like your heart has to be in it. I've had plenty, I've had ones where I was like, nah, I don't know about this. And like, you know, tried my best, but you know, maybe it's didn't fully deliver, but it's, it's one of those things where you have to a, like trust the editor and, and b you know, a great producer will mitigate a lot of those problems. You know what I mean? Like the best projects I've worked on have incredible producers that make sure everything, you know, runs super smooth, like James, like, you know, he did with us on, on Rivian, or they just, take care of all these things and they perfectly communicate kind of what you're going for. And and that's why a lot of the times I enjoy editing my things more because I a know all the shots I got and I know like the theme that I was trying to shoot for. Um, and I really, I really enjoy that part of it, you know, but then there is like a hidden, there's another side of it where sometimes it's really fun when you know, you're handing shit off to a really good editor. Like when I give stuff to Nick and it's like, I'm psyched to see what the fuck he's going to do with stuff. You know what I mean? Cause I know he's going to do some shit I never would have thought of and like pull it together. And, and I, I love that part of the process too. Yeah. I mean, there's editors out there that have saved my project. You oh, know, fuck I, yeah. I fuck just yeah. shot what I thought was decent at when I did it. And then I'm looking back at the footage, like what the hell I was there all day and this is what I have. Oh no, this is bad. And I sent it into like this dude, Evan Hansen out of Chicago, who we'll definitely interview in the future. He's a great editor. He has this weird thing where he just saves projects. Like you could send him anything and he'll say, it's just like Nick too. Nick can save a project. And that's something that I, I take for granted, you know, it's like, okay, I just know that if I fuck this up, I can send this out and it's, everything's in focus and the audio is good. He's going to make something out of it. And it's usually those projects that it's like, you know, you're doing it for a low rate for a company that you don't care about is people don't care enough about you to tell you, they might tell you the day of, you know, and it's just, everything's a hassle. They don't tell you where to park even. They don't tell you where to meet them and they're, they're late to their own shoot. So then that ruins it kind of. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to do my best and we'll see, you know, and then you, know. you realize your heart wasn't in it. The shots are decent and we're going to make the best out of it and call your friend up. Yeah. <laughs> Help me out. <laughs> um, what it, the, the last, the last thing we can touch on. Um, so, me and and Nick, who's our friend who we work with, um, have been sending each other um, like the the editor packs, like with all the plugins that have all the transitions and everything like that. And it's you know it's like over two thousand effects, warps to you know like and all this shit. And we love to like make fun of dudes who we definitely know use these and like you ever just watch someone's piece and and the way they edit, it's like speed ramp. 
speed ramp, uh, like the spin transition, uh, you know, like all yeah, that. Every shit. DJ set edit that I've ever watched on Instagram where a guy's literally standing in front of the DJ booth, shooting that, turning around, shooting some beautiful girl, jumping up and down, wide shot of the crowd. And it's just going speed ramp, zoom, zoom, through. Yep. It's like so, I mean, people eat it up. Oh, they do, yeah. It's so trash. I, I um, hate it. Um, there's, you know who weirdly end up usually having like the best uh, video edits of like their shit is, is like, athletes like you ever notice like when it's like odell beckham posting his videos and it's got like some awesome like overlay on it and it's just fucking cut to hell like just amazing yeah. <laughs> i'm always like damn dude who the fuck is your editor like, that's where i want to know where a lot of these athletes find their editors and like so it's a big thing like with a lot of athletes um and it's interesting because teams are now trying to like get ahead of that by because they don't want their their these, you know, 40 of these guys, video teams like around all the time. So a lot of uh, teams are actually like hiring their own employees to, to, so like, I know a guy, his name's Gavin Rhodes. He does all the stuff for the Pistons. He's a really, really good photographer. He does a ton of good work. We should invite him on. Um, but he will literally, you know, shoot with his camera and then he just uploads it to this, this app that all the athletes are able to get. So like right after the game, they have their shots of them like in warmups or during the game okay, okay. and everything like that. And, and so teams are trying to kind of take out the middleman in that and just straight up do it themselves. It's really interesting. Like that's so the future. Like they, they, they take the photos, they have, they might upload them to like a Dropbox type. Yeah. That's what they app, do. And then they just on the way home when they're getting dr- driven back to their house, they're just yep. looking at their photos Twitter. Here we go. That's what it's straight up what they do. Like a, a lot of them. And it was really funny. I actually had, um, f- former piston Andre Drummond. Um, so I used to shoot like the arrivals, you know, when you see like the players getting out of their cars and, you know, walking into the arena, Andre Drummond is sponsored. He's fucking sponsored by JBL headphones, but he was wearing AirPods and oh he's like walking in and he goes, Oh shit, hold up, bro. I got to put my, I'm sponsored by JBL. I got to put these in. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> like, yeah, don't worry, man. I got you. I got that's you. Hilarious. It's actually it, like, that's it, when, when I think about what I miss um, from, from not being able to work sports stuff, that's actually one of the things I miss the most is because like, I would say hi to them and they all remembered me and they were like, what's up, man? How you doing? You know, and I'd be rocking like a little DJ Osmo that all we had and like linked to a phone and they like, look at that little ass camera, man. Does that thing still look good? And I was like, yeah, dude, it looks, it looks sweet. Like, <laughs> they were well, all like yeah, it's kind of like you, you get to, with your job, you know, it's not your, I mean, it's a lot of what you do is you break the fourth wall with these athletes, which is really cool because a lot of people, they, they look at these athletes and these celebrities through like a, a movie, you know, it's like they're from, they're a spectator looking at what's going on, whether it be on Instagram, Twitter, in real life at a basketball game, where you see Eminem in the fourth row and everyone's looking at him, you know, but you got to break the fourth wall with these people and actually have like real conversation. And they're just normal. There's no regular ass dudes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're real cool. Um, yeah. it's the only, the only thing that did suck is, uh, I definitely filmed, uh, uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell when they were the first NBA players to test positive for coronavirus, and I was I was definitely <laughs> I was definitely uh, filming with them, and and that was weird. 
upon retrospect, I was like, fuck dude, I was right there. <laughs> like yeah. fucking right by them. But I don't know. I, uh, I, it's, I, I do miss that aspect of it, of like the humanity and, and, and working to make something cool because it's such a, um, it's almost like cheating because sports is so, you know, dynamic in that sense. Like you have these larger than life people literally. And it's such a ridiculous kind of setting in that sense. So you would love it, dude. I'm telling you, if you did anything sports related, you would be blown away by how much fun it is. I bet, man. I, I bet. I always, I always wanted to like get on shoots and stuff. It was just well, most of the stuff I saw was like, okay, we need you for the whole year. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. We'll make it happen. We're going to do some once, once sports stuff comes back. I'm at, I've, uh, I bought a batting uh, net. And I've been, me and Natasha have been doing soft toss and I set up my camera. So Dude, we're going to, awesome. we're just going to have the most ridiculous highlight video of us hitting, you know, soft toss into a, I love that. <laughs> into, that is so cool. into a net. I'm excited and, for that. Yeah. Well, one, I, one more thing I want to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on, but have you noticed that a lot of these people who are so social justice warriors on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, have now completely forgot about all those issues and they're only talking about if you don't stay home, you're an asshole. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I dude, people have way too much fucking time. Like, Oh my God. I agree with so many like of their causes that they're going for. Of course. Of course. When like, did you see the whole Karen thing? Yeah. yeah, Okay. Like that is the perfect example of where I was like, get off the fucking internet. Like, it's one thing if you want to sit and argue about if you know. You want to tell everyone what what the Karen thing is. Yeah. So it was like this dumb. Of course, it's like it's the most Karen possible thing to do too. But they were basically saying that it was like calling women Karen is uh, sexist. Uh, an ageist or something is like basically what it got deduced to. And I always think of the John Mulaney bit where he's like, if you want to say one word is like the N word, but you can still say that word and not the N word, it's probably not that bad. (laughs) And I was just like, blown. I'm like, God, dude, people just, sometimes people just like, I think really enjoy being oppressed, which is a shame because there are real fucking people who are being oppressed and it takes away from, you know, the normality of, you know what I mean? No, absolutely. And I think that if people, if you have a cause on your Instagram, you know, and you're posting a thing like, Hey, here's a link to this dolphin relief fund in China. They're killing all the dolphins. Uh, you know, here, if you want to give 10 bucks, you know, that'd be cool. I'm really for dolphins. You know, I gave my money. Okay. I can get past that because you're actually giving money to something. Well, you know, or you're saying to people, Hey, if you have a couple dollars to spare, these, these animals are suffering. Okay. That I can get behind. But when you're posting every day, pictures of rhinos with their, their horn cut off and elephants being poached and all this stuff, it's like, how about you get your ass up? and go to Africa and fucking protest because all you're doing is nothing. You're making everyone else miserable. Okay. Yeah. See, but then here's the thing is sometimes I'm guilty of it where it's like, I'm telling these people to stop, but like I could get off my phone and stop seeing all their shit. You know what I mean? That's like true. But you know what I mean? Inspirational shit to see too. And then you can like see the most inspirational documentary clip and then you scroll down and it's someone bitching about, you know, whatever. There, everyone's always got a problem with everything, dude. I mean, that's, I, I'm pretty level-headed in life and I try to stay that way, but 
there's going to come a point where the more like exposure, you know, I'm going to slip up and, and say something stupid or, you know, do something. And, and I try not to be one of those people who comes down on, on other people too much because like it's a cycle and everyone says stupid shit and it's oh, like, gonna, yeah. it's going to come for me one day. You know what I mean? For sure. But I, I think, see, I don't post, I don't think you and I really are like social justice warriors on social media per se, really you know, no. I, don't I don't post anything political we, or anything yeah, like that. I don't think there's a need to, I think most people aren't the people that do it, whatever. It's always going to be there. But now that I have this outlet as a podcast, I can bet once in a <laughs> while. So <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm more of a true Midwestern man and, and I'm polite to people, but then I just like judge them silently in my own head. That's kind of what I do. And it's, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at reading people. Um, and I just, don't interact with people I don't like. That's pretty much no, absolutely. what I, and that's what I do too. I mean, the only thing that I, you know, I, I think it's me spending too much time on my phone as a place. Is. That's, you know? that's really what it is. I hate to break it to you. I know I revealed last week that my screen report said I was on my phone for 12 hours a day. So I can't, <laughs> can't really judge, but, uh, that's, that's kind of what I think it is. But I think that, that, that'll wrap it up, dude. I think we absolutely. just did a solid little pod. For sure, man. It's always great. Mm-hmm. Excited to get some guests on next time. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a couple. Of, I'm going to reach out to some people and we'll definitely have a couple episodes next week and we'll have some guests on and we'll have some new content for everyone. So thanks for listening. Oh, and remember to, if, if you subscribe, it makes it so that our episodes appear um, automatically updated. For some reason with Apple, it uh, doesn't auto like upload until about a day or two later. But if you subscribe, they appear in your feed right away. And follow us on Shallow Depth of Pod at, uh, at Shallow Depth of Pod on Instagram. Good. <laughs> Great. Done. Done. Great. Subscribe. Potted. Yeah.